Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume six, issue 290, Bayonetta 2. As you know, you can play along with this podcast, play the games as we talk about them, so you've beaten them in advance, so we don't spoil them. The entire schedule, uh, it's only another 10 to go, I guess, uh, up until uh, issue 300 in the end of the year, and our sixth volume concludes. You can go over to the new look Cane and Rinse website to find out the full schedule, but our next five of those are Grim Fandango, it's a sort of Halloween come Mexican Day of the Dead special Uh, after that we return to The Witcher with The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt but not the DLC for that we'll have its own separate podcast Uh, then it's Beyond Good and Evil the original of course then we shall talk all about the long running Capcom versus series that's going to take in all the various crossovers mashups superhero games and everything else like that after that we return to Project Gotham Racing to uh, conclude that series with a show all about PGR3 and PGR4 as I say do head to canerince.com where there are other things as well as podcasts including articles features the odd review and links to our social spaces forum Facebook page our YouTube channel as well and you can support us. We have a Patreon, of course, these days. It's the done thing, you know. Uh, if you like what we do and appreciate the time that we put into it, you can donate a dollar a month. That's less than a euro, less than a pound. Uh, and if enough of you do this, it helps us keep on going where we want to go. Uh, we currently have a target. We're running out of time for this target to be hit. But who knows? You might surprise us with a very late rush. Uh, but if we can hit $3,000 a month by, uh, let's say, the end of November, we'll put it back ever so slightly. And uh, then we'll do even more podcasts next year. But regardless of that, even if we're not going to hit that target, every dollar that you donate from one to more than one is uh, hugely appreciated. Uh, Patreon.com slash Rinse. Uh, you can also buy T-shirts and bags with the Cane and Rinse or Sound of Play logos on shop.spreadshirt.co.uk slash Cane and Rinse. That is uh, Sound of Play, our other podcast, all about video games music. We're up to well over 100 now with uh, where we play at least nine tunes and we have guests from the community as well as uh, professional uh, composers and, uh, and other people from around and about the video gaming sphere. Please review, rate, subscribe to both podcasts. Uh, on iTunes or whichever other platform you get them from. Thank you for listening to that little bit there. Now, joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 290R, joining hands across the world from the USA, it's Leah Haydu. Good morning. It's the morning. From the Netherlands, also known as Holland, Michiel Kroder. Good afternoon. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure all the way, although this isn't what it says on, on your Skype, uh, Yoshesk, but uh, pretty pretty sure all the way from Australia. Yoshesk. Good evening, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and a sultry evening. Hello. So we're very excited to have Yoshesk with us because we have somebody who has dedicated an enormous amount of time, energy and passion to the Bayonetta games uh, and has strong opinions on, on both. Um, obviously, this is the Bayonetta 2 show. We covered Bayonetta 1 about six years ago, I think it was, uh, as part of a two game show with uh, Vanquish. I don't know whether we'd all have the same opinions about Bayonetta now all these years on, but I suspect that we probably would mostly for the most part. Um, But we will obviously get into, uh, especially from an expert's point of view, where the differences are between the first and the second games, uh, which the rest of us as uh, perhaps... I don't know if layman's right, but certainly um, not people who have. Uh, yeah, how, You've made something like 200... And two, I've seen 230 odd videos on your YouTube channel? Not yeah. all Bayonetta, but yeah, mostly. Yeah, it's like, I think I actually calculated it recently. It's like 95% Bayonetta content. 
on my yeah. channel. So you're qualified. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if, if by pure volume, yes. Do you know? Uh, have you got an, uh, a clock on your on your save files, or have you? I assume you've gone across multiple save files now. But do you know how many hours you've put into these games? What you save and what you actually play are not necessarily married up. I would True. I would estimate it probably above one thousand hours by now across. Okay. Four platforms now? Possibly, well, who knows, maybe more platforms in the future. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> yes, do it all over again yeah. on the Switch, on the bus. Hmm. Uh, we'll see. We'll talk about that later. Uh, so, yes, obviously, Platinum Games uh, made Bayonetta 2. Uh, there's a famous story. It's well documented, so we won't go too deeply into it. But uh, uh, the game was probably going to run out of impetus and funding until Nintendo stepped in uh, and obviously uh, helped uh, fund the rest of the game, which meant that it ended up becoming a Wii U exclusive and uh, the exclusivity was uh, met with a lot of complaints by fans of the original Platinum Games producer Atsushi Inaba responded that Bayonetta 2 would not exist if Nintendo hadn't partnered with the developer to make the game uh, work on the game was based on feedback the staff received from the original game to bring various improvements. Nintendo was not involved in the making of the game other than as uh, an observer, although uh, I understand that it, it was actually Nintendo's input that meant that the uh, the the Link costume that Bayonetta wears in both one and two, the remake of one, uh, was actually uh, more sexy after Nintendo's input. I say more sexy; it showed more <laughs> flesh. Uh, they thought, well, if we're gonna have our our IP crossover into this uh, sexy, violent witch game, let's do it properly. So let's not have her uh, coyly cover up her 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 plunging breastline. Let's have it all out there. So and so the artists set to work, and there it was. So, yes, obviously Nintendo published this on the Wii U. It was directed by Yusuke Hashimoto. So uh, Hideki Kamiya took a supervisory role. If you don't follow Hideki Kamiya's Twitter, uh, you might not want to, but I think it's one of the funniest things in social media. Uh, he was asked, do you feel disappointed about having developed Bayonetta 2 for inferior hardware? His response, isn't your mum disappointed with her inferior son? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's funny too. <laughs> he is he a, knows, ma he knows he is a master up. troll, that man. Yeah, mm -hmm. he certainly is. And I, I think it's it's great that he uh, adopts the role on social media of I'm just the game's creator. I'm not trying to sell it. I'm not customer service. I don't have to be friendly to you. I just yeah. make the games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and when you see him interviewed when he's doing his PR bit, he's absolutely charming as well. He's like, you know, completely engaged and p patient and polite to the interviewer and all that sort of thing. But when he's when he's taking nonsense from Twitter, he's just he's got yeah a, a really, really short uh, temper. And uh, yeah, it's, it's highly entertaining, I think. So the game came out in September 2014 in Japan. We had to wait uh, just over a month for the rest of the world to receive it in 2014. Um, I don't think there are any significant differences in the versions this time around. Yoshesky might know if there's any... I don't the, believe there, it. I think there's pretty much no, no difference. Yeah, because yeah. you can switch between the that's languages. Cool. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a very good point. The PAL version has the Japanese audio tracking. So if you do find the English uh, audio too annoying you can at least uh, go to japanese but i imagine after a thousand hours you're probably skipping through the cutscenes as fast as humanly possible oh well whenever i play a first playthrough i watch the cutscenes again just for old times okay <laughs> oh, okay nostalgic reasons uh, so the game sold uh, worldwide, according to VG charts, 0.81 million copies. So that's uh, less than 100,000. No, less than a million units. I should say it's 810,000 units. Yeah, less than 100,000 would have been a complete disaster. And um, we'd never see it again. Uh, but I, I imagine it's still um, obviously Nintendo invested. And we don't know 
you know, how much they were expecting it to sell, how many Wii U units they were expecting it to sell. We've got at least one piece of feedback from a from a forumite of ours who did buy a Wii U simply to play Bayonetta 2. I mean, from my point of view, there are loads of reasons to own a Wii U, but Bayonetta 2 is a pretty it's a pretty good one. Yeah, but if you're if you're looking at it from that that kind of perspective, I, I think a lot of people who maybe weren't as familiar with the Wii U's lineup would have seen it as eh, there's not really anything to do here. So I, I think <laughs> I think it would actually be a no, and I, I don't fall into that camp. I like my Wii U a lot actually, but um sure. yeah, I, I, I wonder how that stacks up. I don't I don't have numbers for the Wii U release, but it would be interesting to see how that stacks up percentage wise against the number of consoles that were sold because i bet it's pretty if not exactly impressive not as bad as those numbers might make it seem if it were released on on an xbox console or or a playstation either yeah yeah so possibly so mikhil am i right in thinking you were at nintendo of europe when this came out yes yes um i was working at the uh, nintendo uh of europe online department and we were getting in the script for a nintendo direct to translate uh so i was doing the dutch uh, dutch subtitles for that and this was all super confidential we couldn't even speak uh it was basically this sort of circle where only people that had to work on this nintendo direct were allowed to uh be privy to the information uh, in there um and i was remember before starting my translation reading through the whole script until i came to the the bayonetta 2 part and i was discussing with my direct colleagues and i was telling people like this is really going to be huge there's going to be a huge uh reactions on social media to it yeah. and not everybody was as into uh platinum games or action games as i was so right. you know not everybody quite understood but yeah predictably it erupted after that uh, that announcement both positive and negative the negative reaction was really something i didn't i couldn't predict like to mm. at least not to that level like yeah, I, I remember reading a fan calling for a nuclear holocaust on Japan uh, for oh this uh, this an- announcement, you know, which uh, might just be uh, the textbook definition of overreaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could say that. So, uh, Mikhail, while, while we're with you, what was your experience with Bayonetta 1? And, and so where were you coming at, coming to this game? Obviously, working for Nintendo, presumably you were, yeah, you were already uh, happily a Wii U owner, understanding that it was uh, not doing that well commercially. But uh, was this a was this a big deal for you that it was coming to Wii U? Or was it just you were excited to play another Bayonetta game? Actually, when uh, by the time the announcement came, I hadn't even finished playing the, the first Bayonetta through on, uh, on normal. It's just like... I had too many games laying around and I was too distract yeah. too distracted and uh, I was kind of all over the place. I, I was in this part where I had too many games or in this sort of state of mind where I had too many games and whenever I would start playing one game I started feeling like I was neglecting other games I could play so <laughs> I had really know, I had a lot of trouble familiar. focusing <laughs> on one particular game but what I played from uh, Bayonet I absolutely adored and when the announcement came I immediately went back to Bayonetta 1 and actually started playing it seriously and trying to you know get some decent time in before the sequel would come out uh, Leah how about you? Yeah so I remember playing uh, the first Bayonetta on the PS3, and I, oh. uh, uh, yeah, I'm so, so sorry. Yeah, so I remember, I, <laughs> and it has been quite some time since I played that version of the game, but I do remember that there was there were problems, and I, I don't I don't recall exactly what those <laughs> problems are. I'm I'm just kind of like having flashbacks to that now, but I, I really enjoyed the game despite that. But yes, I did uh, I did enjoy the uh, the game itself. I have never really been. Um, 
proficient in um, combo based games uh, like this. I, I'm not great at things like Devil May Cry. I'm not great at Bayonetta, but I enjoy that this game kind of makes it easy to adjust your personal skill level. So if you're not great at these games, you can set it to a lower difficulty level your first time through or your fifth time through or whatever you would like. And, you know, have a kind of visual explosion and still be interested as you're kind of mashing buttons and figuring out what works and what doesn't through the Mm. game without getting too frustrated. And then as you build up your skill level, or if you start out with a higher skill level to begin with, then, you know, you can jack it up and it becomes this, this really intricate system of combos and of knowing exactly what you're doing to Mm. where it can be challenging and to where it can, you know, give you that satisfaction if that's what you're looking for. I find that really attractive in this type of game where you can get different experiences out of it that are equally satisfying, no matter what your skill level is. Mine's low, but, but still. (laughs) That's kind kind of the uh, Kamiya school of action games of where the, the intricacies of the systems only really start mattering once you start playing it for score and trying Mm -hmm. to get your, uh, your rank up. Yeah, and and I should say uh, I haven't done the uh, the sort of uh, Bayonetta one hundred and one thing because I guess I've, I feel like most of our listeners will be familiar with what it is. But it, it is a third person action game in the Japanese mold, uh, very very Hideki Kamiya if you uh, if you're familiar <laughs> with his earlier works. Uh, Combo Beast is a, is a is a good term for it. Um, but you can also th- you know this game exists also for people who just love the sights and sounds and spectacle and interaction of the kind of the the archetypal video game like mm-hmm. to me these games represent the sort of the natural uh point that arcade games that i was playing as a as a child of the mm. 80s that were just kind of very bright very colorful very fanciful but in, or, you know hugely surreal and and a bit mad and full of crazy monsters and uh and lots of flashing lights and colors and, and ever more spectacular. This is kind of the natural progression of those. Um, so I, I absolutely adored Bayonetta 1, as I talked about on that podcast, um, although I never played it to the extent that someone like Yoshesk uh, has for various reasons. Um, I did, you know, I did keep playing it until I was improve, you know, I was Im- improving my scores on levels over and over again. And I've done the same with Bayonetta 2, which uh, I've had since it pretty much since it came out or the Christmas it came out. And uh, I've only just played it for the show, but I've put in uh, a reasonable number of hours, although paltry. Uh, in comparison. So, Yoshesk, we should find out from you, when the announcement for Bayonetta 2 came, were you already thoroughly, heavily invested in the world of Bayonetta 1? Yes, most definitely heavily invested. I remember being on a stream with some friends and when we were watching the Nintendo Direct together and I was just completely fangirling over the idea that there was a Bayonetta 2. I'm not not really sure what it was because I've never actually played games like this before. I've never played Devil May Cry, I've never played Ninja Gaiden. Oh, really? No. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, Bayonetta was huh. my entry point into these hack and slash type games, and I've never played another one since because, for whatever reason, they all just feel like crap to me in comparison to Bayonetta. So, yeah. <laughs> massive, massive bias, of course. No, I think I think that's uh, that's a, a completely understandable perspective, even as somebody who isn't quite as invested and, and obsessive about the one title. Uh, I certainly find it hard to go back to titles in the same genre that are similar but not as as fully formed and well-rounded and as spectacular and as much fun as Bayonetta. Yeah, I think in one of my other podcasts, I think Saw described it as the, Lam- the Lamborghini <laughs> of, um, <laughs> of hack and slash games. And it's hard to go sure. from that to something that's not as good in terms of how it feels. The game reviewed well over 53 reviews, according to game rankings, uh, scores were very positive, 91.38%. Um, now, uh, having done it for a while, I can tell you that 
uh, most of the professional reviewers probably won't have had time to play it to the extent that someone like a Yoshesk will. Um, and so therefore may either not be qualified in terms of the understandings of the mechanics of the genre or uh, or simply uh, just may not have had um, the resources to, to get there. Um, so those kind of scores are often going to be based around maybe between, you know, 10, 20, maybe 30 hours at most of play. Certainly my experience of playing through this for the first time a couple of weeks ago now is that even as uh, even as a kind of, you know, bash your way through it, play it on a on a, a lower difficulty and just, you know, enjoy it as a kind of ride. I think there's a lot there's there's a lot to enjoy um and and so i can sort of understand why it did so well obviously it came out late in the year so again maybe some of the the real depth hadn't been plumbed at this point but um edge magazine gave it top game of 2014 destructoid gave it best overall game of 2014 uh, game trailers best action adventure and best wii u exclusive uh, ign's best action game and people's choice best action game and also i thought this was uh, very good able gamers foundation's most accessible game mm -hmm. uh, of 2014 for Probably its, because uh, of the touchscreen. Uh, touchscreen mm -hmm. and simple button mode controls, which the original did have to an extent as well, as, as I recall. Let's hear from our first forumite before we uh, continue. This is from Sean S. Thomas, who says, Bayonetta 2's announcement was the reason to buy a Wii U I'd been looking for. I'd wanted the unorthodox Nintendo machine for a while, but after the E3 unveiling of this game and the subsequent puerile fan backlash of not being multi-platform, I decided I wanted to support its creation. I had a few months to wait until it was released, but I loved playing that epic first-level demo over and over in the run-up to release and instantly pre-ordered the two-set collector's edition, something I'm not sure I've done for any other game. Having replayed the two Bayonetta titles several times, there is much to love about both. Whilst I know this is a podcast specifically about the sequel, due to the way the two narratives intertwine and the overarching similarities, it is hard to talk about it in isolation of its forerunner. Bayonetta 2 feels more precise, with the controls that bit tighter. A good control scheme is something that can become hypnotic and reason to play a game alone. The Tomb Raider reboot, Arkham series, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time and Super Guacamole were all games I enjoyed primarily for the responsive command inputs and the flow you could get lost in. This game had the ability to make you feel overwhelmed by foes, but through imaginative countering and dodging, you could gradually turn an encounter your way until you're left with one weakened enemy to taunt and banish. And no discussion of this game can fail to mention the momentous Lumen Sage battles. I grinned from ear to ear during that first encounter, more than I've ever done in any one-on-one -on -one fighting game. Lengthening the QTE reaction time windows slightly and reducing the overlong Sega shoot-em-up homages saved a lot of near-perfect runs being ruined and the frustrating replaying of bosses from the original. It's a more vibrant, colourful and joyful-looking game too. Enemy variety is better, and on my second playthrough I realised how important it is to have good weapon sets to switch between for ranged or close combat if you want to get decent scores. It felt to me that the weapon differences were more pronounced in one, but that could be down to the closer camera view and weapon set I used. The story gets a lot of grief in these games, but there are some clever touches in the finales of both, with the two games essentially becoming one never-ending time loop you can replay forever. The consistent scale and epicness of two means it didn't have the roller coaster feel of one, where those huge ba uh, bosses crash into your close combat battles and the flying combat in two is overdone. But overall, I think two is the better game and possibly the better entry point too. It's easier and the Umbra and Climax super move means newcomers should be able to get through the game without too much frustration. I love the Nintendo Nintendo touches too, such as the bonus costumes and the secret Star Fox level, whilst the replay value is huge. Playing with the Link outfit, for example, gives you the ability to block and deflect attacks with the Hylian shield, which felt like a very different challenge. 
All in all, Bayonetta 2 is one of the best games I've ever played. Goodness me. Now, Yoshesky, <laughs> you are you champing at the bit to come in and tell us why, why uh, Sean is all oh, no. wrong? Look, I mean, I, I can do that, but I, I feel like I'd just be very <laughs> – I'd be, I'd be cruel at that point. I can – I understand. I know what people mean when they say it in this perspective, and my perspective is a very unusual one, and the large majority of people who play Bayonetta 2 agree with Sean. Um, mm. And there's nothing wrong with that because they are – Completely correct. Bayonetta 2 does play a much better than Bayonetta 1. It's a much better entry point because 1 is so unforgiving. Everyone mm. complains about the QTEs in Bayonetta 1. They are awful. Mm. I've died to them a couple of mm. times myself after having played it this many yeah, times. Yeah. Bayonetta 2 is definitely, it's like Bayonetta 1 turned up to 11 because it's so much more flashy. It's so much more over the top. It's much more easy. And in terms of responsiveness, it's really funny because my, myself and I know other players who are on my similar level actually find yeah. Bayonetta 2 to be quite frustrating in terms of its responsiveness yeah. because of this like very fundamental changes they've done to the actual engine itself, so to speak. But on a surface level, from someone who just plays the game maybe once or twice, yes, it's very good. I, the one thing I always tell people who say that is, have you ever tried to pure platinum everything <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> on every difficulty? Because that's when the, yeah. that's when the uh, errors start coming out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we'll definitely get into that later. So I'm I'm curious, and this is not an easy question and maybe doesn't actually have a, a complete answer, but do you think that if you had played Bayonetta 2 first, like it, how much of that do you think might be due to the fact that you had so much experience with Bayonetta 1 before coming into this? I'm fully aware of my biases and yeah, having played mm -hmm. Bayonetta 1 for however many years it was before playing Bayonetta 2 and being so attached to that system and then coming mm -hmm. into Bayonetta 2 having the expectation that it was going to be like one but better and then feeling like it was it was like a betrayal of yeah. all the time I had spent in Bayonetta 1. I fully admit that I am very biased. <laughs> I think that a lot of people would probably have that same opinion because I don't, I don't think that a lot of people necessarily would be diving straight into Bayonetta 2, particularly given that it's uh, maybe more difficult to access just given the relative scarcity of the platform that it's on. Um, mm. I, I think I, I wonder how many people have played Bayonetta 2 and not and not one. I, I don't think it would likely not be that many. Yeah, especially I don't think it would likely be a high number, especially with the double pack available mm -hmm. on the yeah. Wii U, which is what I got, even though I already had uh, Bayonetta on the 360. I, I wanted, you know, another mm -hmm. version, especially as it had some little, you know, doobries in it and some some extras. Yeah. And now I've got it three times, of course, on the PC <laughs> as well. And I'll no yep. doubt buy Bayonetta 2 when it comes out on Switch or whatever else it comes out on. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. If you look at it at a more as objective as you're going to get at a more objective level, uh, there were just certain high-level tactics uh, taken out of the engine and out of the mm. game. And what I find befuddling about that is taking these tactics or exploits out does, doesn't make for uh, a more accessible game by itself, because this is something that only high-level players would ever really get yeah. into and start using. So I don't get why uh, these, these elements <laughs> were taken out of the engine. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just find it a strange choice to, to take out those things. I think it befuddles everyone. <laughs> Again, we'll, we'll come back to the sort of the super level play stuff a bit later, because I do, part of our show is also talking about the, you know, the other stuff, the surface stuff. Um, one of the first things that struck me, I think, when I when I looked at the, the double pack box set was that the uh, where the original Bayonetta 1 has an 18 rating, the sequel has a 16 rating. Mm. And it's still a 
you know, inverted commas, sexy game. Uh, it's violent. There's still blood. But I think uh, some of the some of the sort of edgier moments are gone. I think some of the more provocative moments of Bayonetta sort of writhing from the first game and the more things like the the shooting the pistol up the up the uh, manic- the penis of the mannequin piece and all that sort of stuff the stuff that maybe I you know supposedly Nintendo had no no input in this but I wonder if maybe Platinum were just being slightly more cautious about the slightly more kind of yeah edgy stuff and one of well, the yeah, you have to think about the platform it was released on they're trying to get as many customers as possible so it would make sense yeah. to try and ease it up a bit on the uh, M-rated stuff. Yeah. I think the the sexiness is just about on equal level, but Bayonetta 2 is definitely less gory. I think Bayonetta 1 has a lot more over-the-top gore and blood splatters uh, all over the place. In uh, my area, both games are M-rated. There isn't a difference. Mm. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so, but from what I've seen, um, the, and we keep saying the inverted commas thing, and, and I think that's entirely valid, and maybe we'll we'll get to talk about this a little bit, but the sexy yes, yes. part, um, so, I mean, you still have Bayonetta uh, literally pole dancing to um, make things happen in the environment. There's still, I mean, we open with a scene of her having her dress sliced off as, you know, I, it, the over-the-top sexual content and, and just uh, sexual touches, not, not even necessarily content, but just the, mm. the, the wrappings that they have put on it, I don't. I don't see that as having really been toned up or down. I think I, to me, it seems like that mm-hmm. part remains okay. relatively consistent. Yoshesk, you said that this was the first game of this genre to really attract you. Was was that was the character something that appealed to you, and that all the trappings of Bayonetta being the you know the prov- sexually provocative witch was that something that spoke to you, or is it something that you tolerate for the quality of the game, <laughs> or somewhere in between the two? I think I appreciate Bayonetta as a character for her. I guess very feminist presentation and it's funny because you can you can argue Benita is either not feminist or is feminist being able to read that character in two different ways is kind of what appeals a lot of people i honestly liked her because she was a female who looked just damn cool and the gameplay looked fun the sexiness thing is something like i i think i remember the first time i played her i was very embarrassed to play it but you know you get over that okay <laughs> yeah, I, I think I have I have a similar thing. Like it's it's definitely a game where I think um, my my friend uh, Simon, who's been on Sound of Play before, who lives in Japan. He sent me a, a bayonetta a figure, mannequin, collectible, whatever you want to call it, and later a Jean. And and I guess I was like over forty by the time I got this in the post. <laughs> and and obviously, you know, my girlfriend's there wow. when I'm opening it. But but I wasn't. But I you know, but. I like I don't personally and this is absolutely genuine I don't find Bayonetta a sexually attractive character speaking as a heterosexual male I think like she's obviously provocative and I'm not saying I find her you know completely unappealing but it's not that sort of level of sass and sarcasm and it's too in your face and actually I can see why that that appeals to a lot of people and it's um I I, I suppose my overall feeling is that I like the character um rather than love the character um but I also I don't find anything to be offended about in that I find the sort sort of provocative stuff to be quite, um, yeah, it's quite amusing. You know, it makes me chuckle. It is a little bit embarrassing at first, but then it's, uh, but then it sort of gives way to actually the character and the development team are just completely, completely owning this. And she's so much always in control of every situation. Like there's like mm-hmm. two cutscenes in the entire Bayonetta canon where she goes, "What's going on?" And but the rest of the time, she's all like, "I know what I'm going to do next. I'm going to kick your ass, and then I'm going to kick your ass, and then I'm going to tell you why this is happening, and then I'm going to kick your ass." Yeah, she's just never impressed. And maybe I find that the 
when we're speaking about attraction, maybe I find that the most attractive bit about her is just her general attitude. And yeah, it's over the top, but it's just characterized so well. And I find her character design, we, sp- I s- we spoke about that in the Beautiful Joe uh, episode, just this whole ethos of the Clover and Platinum Games character design is uh, something that, yeah, I f- find really stands out. It's just the way that they uh, match colors and costumes and create something very striking visually she her her whole physique is unnatural uh almost you mm-hmm. know she's she has these like uh, spindly long legs and her movement is based on a on that of a dancer she's unforgettable when uh, when i first laid eyes on the character it's just like she made a, a very lasting impression on me and maybe if i look deeper in myself the uh I, I don't really you know get excited by the more uh sensual um cutscenes or anything but i do find something very attractive and appealing in uh, her walking animation and her uh catwalk style uh, catwalk, animation yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah i do find that sexy i must admit <laughs> yeah, and obviously with the uh, with the with the mannequin doll collectible figurine, whatever you want to call it, the uh, the proportions kind of make more sense on a on a plastic figurine uh, yeah. in the in the traditional Barbie doll style than they do on an actual uh, human being. But that said, <laughs> I mean Bayonetta has inspired an extraordinary amount of cosplay. Oh yes, uh, so yeah, yeah. No, I I just to I I agree with. Uh, most of what's been said about uh, the character of Bayonetta, um, it, it's like, it's kind of like when designing her, they took a lot of elements that would be sexy by themselves and just kind of put the most exaggerated parts of those onto the same character. And I think that I I agree with what Mikhail was saying about um, the just the attitude and and her uh, and just the confidence of her, I think, is uh, is what I find the most attractive about the character mm-hmm. physically. It's if you take a glance at her, then then it might be, oh, hey, that's a sexy character. But if you kind of look at her closer, it's like, well, this is just so over the top. Like, there is no way that this could possibly be a real person at all. And I mean, I'm sure I'm sure some people do find that very attractive. But taking it as a sexual object, she, she is not an object. She is far from that because she has so much agency and is just using these these elements that have been put on her. And she she, as as we've been saying, is is just so totally in control that I I find it difficult. And, and I mean, I'm sure that somebody could come into this, particularly if they didn't have at a first glance, as, as mm-hmm. I was saying before, could come into it and say, well, I, I think that this is offensive because, you know, she's obviously just there to be stared at and, and look at all these things she's doing. This is just exploitative. But on anything like a closer look to me, I find it difficult to be offended by this kind of thing because it is just so over the top. It, it's I, yeah. I don't believe it's meant to be taken seriously. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm far be it for me to tell anybody what they can and can't be offended by. But I personally find it more silly than uh, than genuinely sexy or uh, exploitative at all in a in a weird way she kind of embodies what i find cool about video games and that's the larger the life aspect of it and the mm-hmm. yeah she's a, she's basically a, a superheroine i think that, that as i said that's an extension of what i was saying earlier about about the whole game the whole setting scenario mm-hmm. i could personally take or leave 95 percent of the cutscenes and and the incredible sort of uh, cheesy two ways between the various characters and the, the sort of saturday morning cartoon style villains and, and all this sort of thing but the actual the scenario and the setting and, and the world that they've created both in in terms of look and the sort of the setup of the the heaven and the hell and the witches and and the uh, 
the sort of parallel dimension and all that. But, but personally, I could have done with like a screw, just just have the intro bit, the end of time bit, and and have that explanation, and then don't have any more cutscenes. I would have been fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it's better if you switch on to the the Japanese voice acting, but the um the kid, yeah, uh, I, d- I don't know what they were thinking with that accent. Uh, maybe it doesn't so <laughs> sound so bad if you're if you're not actually a, a English British, but. That's terrible. And, uh, but actually, I think the one thing that probably comes closest to being offensive in the whole of Bayonetta for me is Enzo as mm. a, a really... Uh, Forget about it. Horribly uh, tacky uh, sort of characterization of, a, of an Italian-American, obviously based on the sort of Joe Pesci characters in, in the Scorsese films, but played for... And and it's not like you know. Again, we could we could just go back to the well. It's a it's a joke kind of thing. But I, I think that is it is quite a reductive joke. And and the actual the comedy relief moments are, are just I find them personally pretty painful. Yeah, he kind of misses the mark. But uh, maybe because of that, I find the whole Anson thing uh, not completely unendearing. So Yoshesk, you were saying when you when you uh, start a new save file, or whatever playthrough, you you do watch rewatch the cutscenes. Does that so that means if if I can call you a super fan of Bayonetta, and obviously that always being a super fan always comes with probably some of the the strongest and most harsh criticism as well. Um, do, do you, are you now like thoroughly invested in the world and the characters? Do you feel this is a, a significant part of the experience for you, or is it just you know, as you're a uh, a high level player who's absolutely learned the systems inside out and back to front, is that just the just the you know the trappings? It's a little bit of both. I enjoy the okay. lore. Um, I I don't really like discussing lore with people, but it, for me, it's gameplay is king, and the set dressing around it is just bonus. And for me, Bayonetta is so well fleshed out. I think that it just makes mm-hmm. it all so much more believable and just makes me love the game more. Uh, maybe, I, I think maybe it's one of those things where um, I'd miss it if it wasn't there kind of thing. Because I, mm. I absolutely do watch the cutscenes the first time through as well. And and I watch some of them more than once uh, just for the spectacle of it. But but it's it tends to be the, the more dialogue uh, heavy stuff uh, just tends to, for me, to descend into very kind of... You know, it could be Power Rangers or or Pokemon or something like that. It's very, it's very sort of um, simply written stuff. And actually, I like that about old video games. But it's when these things are extended into five, you know, maybe not five minutes in in Bayonetta, but several minute long exchanges of cutscenes where the where the dialogue's really simplistic and cliched. I find it a bit of a drag. Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> I only I only like to rewatch the bits where really the rival fight stuff comes up. Anytime Bayonetta yeah. and Jean meet up, it's amazing. I find it less so in Bayonetta 2. Maybe the the reason for that is also because the, the Lumen Sage is at first presented as a kind of a mystery character, right? So he's not supposed to say much. So you don't get a lot of chemistry or uh, dynamics around that. And uh, and I do agree with, um, I, I did think the, the whole wraparound sort of time travel element of the story is very well done uh, as pointed out by Sean in that first post there when you when you complete Bayonetta 2 and I haven't given out a spoiler warning by the way this is your spoiler warning at the end of Bayonetta 2 the Bayonetta 1 logo flashes up basically so it's, it's kind of yeah it's, it's sort of suggesting that this all continues in perpetuity and villains become heroes and heroes become villains and so there'll so never so be forth. a Bayonetta 3 because this is just well, these well guys. there is it may not even involve Bayonetta <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I'm sure they'll find a way. 
Yeah. Uh, the, with, with fantasy plots, you can always write yourself a way out. Suits from the forum, our friend Suits says, From the off, I really bounced off the aesthetics of this, unfortunately. The overly sexed camera angles and the style really hit me in a way that was designed to have the opposite effect. The crotch shots I found ugly, garish and unnecessary. Something I think that perhaps gives an image to games that I like to think doesn't exist or a group of gamers that I like to think don't exist. Again, I'm sure this is perhaps a cultural deficient on my behalf, but whatever way I try to explain to myself, it still doesn't fit right for my personal tastes and something I sadly wasn't able to overcome. The music just made me cringe too. I like to think I have a good tolerance to stuff like this and can generally take things as they come and with a decent sized chunk of salt, but after the first hour, I wanted to switch off all the music and the cutscenes. Bound to have that effect on some people because mm-hmm. it is pretty in your face. Oh, yeah. Mm. And incredibly yeah. campy. Yeah, super campy. Yeah, I, I, I can quite appreciate that. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about the, the music in a bit. But uh, yeah, I actually enjoy that stuff. K-Sub-Zero 1000 also from the forum says, I'm a fairly sensitive person when it comes to questionable portrayals of female characters in various media, but I consider Bayonetta to be so tongue in cheek and over the top that her particular design doesn't bother me in the slightest. I don't see any malice or unfortunate real world implications in her portrayal, merely juvenile, but ultimately harmless silliness. A perfect example of refuge in audacity as far as I'm concerned. Uh, summing up neatly what I think we sort of said there. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the art of the game so this is obviously on a, a last gen machine that was arguably a bit underpowered compared to its last gen rivals uh, obviously it does run in what we used to call hd is now not really high definition anymore but it's uh i don't actually know whether this i, I think it runs in 720 but i'm not 100 percent it's sure. 720 it is mm. 720 yeah so which does sort of trap it in time as, as a few years old. But uh, overall, from my point of view, there are there are moments when you're just walking around and you do notice that the ground texture is a little bit murky and there's some quite low poly areas and assets. But having said that, for instance, the first uh, the, the prologue chapter, even after you've had the the sort of the precursor to the prologue, which is similarly spectacular to that of the first game, you then have this prologue chapter, which is depending on, you can probably do it in like two minutes now, Yoshesk, but takes me about six minutes or seven minutes. And it is just one of the most intense, spectacular, jaw-dropping sort of sequences of video gaming I have ever experienced in, in all my 40 years of gaming. It's just a complete sort of tour de force of insane nonsense um of just epic it's the most beautiful way to open up it's an incredible first level isn't it uh, uh, such as it is uh yeah she kicks a fire jet high up in the sky honestly that it packs so much into that that sequence there's there's so many different sections it's like by the time you get to the end of it it's like there can there actually be any more game after this and actually that's (laughs) the first of 15 chapters or whatever it is yeah it's an incredible start um and i suppose the first time you were playing this yoshesk and we're still sitting on the 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 deeper system stuff for later when you first come into this as a big fan of bayonetta first playing these first couple of levels you were probably just thinking oh my god yes you know it's like this is the sequel i always wanted or or were alarm bells ringing early on for you i remember downloading the demo i was still at work when it actually got released and i got home downloaded the demo and played it and already some bells were ringing actually really okay yeah there were some fundamental changes which made it feel very odd 
Um, and it's mm. quite frankly really hard to remember what exactly it was, but even just the first yeah, playthrough. That's absolutely fine. I, what I've found interesting, because I've dipped back into Bayonetta 1 while I've been playing 2, just to compare and contrast. And even as somebody who doesn't play it to the same level and hasn't played it for the same number of hours, it does feel different. It, it absolutely does feel different to play. So if I'd played 500 to 1,000 hours of Bayonetta 1 instead of the maybe 50 to 100 I did play, I would imagine that that would be massively amplified by, based on my experiences. It's the same way as some Somebody who plays many hundreds of hours of a football game going from one year's version to another year's version is is always very, very challenging. To go back to the art design a little bit, I think mm. now I my most recent playthrough that I that I did for the uh, for the show was on my large TV. And mm. I think that it still looks really good. Um, I mean, you can tell that it's not necessarily a current generation yes. game, but I, I think that for me, there is just so much going on at any given yeah. time that maybe looking at some of the the tinier details or or as you say like the the ground textures or, or you know any anything that might be that little bit off visually it kind of gets overwhelmed by all of the other things that are going on in the screen at yeah, that time for me that that uh, that made up the difference uh, and, and i think it still looks really good it's only when you're exploring, really, and, oh, sure. and the, bit, bit, the bits between the verses. And even that, mm -hmm. the environments are very pretty. Like, um, there's a lot of influence from uh, Belgium and Italy. And mm -hmm. uh, the, you go back to Europe, basically, and see all these places where you exist in this uh, in this world where the humans are, are like shadow people and you can go around smashing up their market stalls and stuff like that. Purgatorio. Yeah. Purgatorio. And it's still, um, yeah, it's still, it still looks uh, pretty to me. It's just that it, it does, it is starting to betray its, the fact that not only is it already three years old but it's on hardware that's five six years old and that is you know could even be could even be older so i think there's just some small things but oh for the most part when you're actually in battle in in the the combat part of the game with the verses and certainly in some of the boss fights and sort of canned sequences it's it's mind-bogglingly spectacular yeah yeah and it performs really well overall yeah mm -hmm. I, I would say there's on a technical level there's some issues with visibility at points and i don't remember if it was as bad in the first game or whether this is something that uh, a high level player such as yoshesk maybe maybe had more sort of camera visibility related problems in the sequel or is is it just that i got better at the first game no there are definitely some camera issues in the in the second game i think when i first started playing through there was a already a big problem with having such big enemies on the screen and normally in bayonetta in bayonetta 1 you only really have one big enemy on the screen at a time in bayonetta yeah. 2 you have in some cases three large enemies on the screen and try as i might you can zoom you can zoom the camera in and out as much as you can but it doesn't get everything and mm. the problem with that it ties into the gameplay because you don't know when to dodge attacks because of the sound cues basically yeah. so it Basically, it becomes a bit of a cluster. That's one example. The other example is I remember when I was playing the Radan fight. Radan being the secret unlockable boss fight you can get in Bayonetta 2 after a certain point. In the first game, that arena does not have any walls, so the camera is free to float around that, and it's pretty. You, you're able to play unobstructed. In Bayonetta 2, for whatever reason, they've put it in the same arena as when you play Al Rooney the mandrake lady mm -hmm. and so sometimes when you get close to the edge the camera will get stuck on the edge and you'll have problems with visibility yet again umber and climax in general yep. tends yep, to yep. tends to obscure things um i know some people yeah. can dodge attacks based on either the flash that you see on screen or the sound cue yeah i tend to use the flash mainly yeah and the umber and climax weaves will actually cover up those things and it will also cover up the sound effect so mm. if you're kind of praying when you activate Umbra and Climax that you will hit everything and not have not have something just hit you 
and you won't better know because you don't know when you get hit in number of climates. You just see, oh, my health bar's a little bit less yeah. now. So there's a there's a bunch of issues. Yeah, it's it's that that super armor kind of thing, right? Where yeah. you, you get hit, but there's no uh, hit reaction. No, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, and obviously, if you're going for for uh, pure platinums, you don't want to be getting hit ever. Yeah, basically, uh, preferably. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that that is interesting. That's exactly the the sort of thing we got you on for, Yoshesk. So, are these things? Do you think that uh, obviously because of the system the game was on and the development that it went through, it kind of came out? I guess it maybe had one up title update. I don't even know. But if this had come out on you know one of the other platforms and and you know I don't maybe that's irrelevant, but maybe it could and should have had more post-release support to sort of uh, tighten up some of these slightly looser elements. I'm honestly not sure. Um, like I really right. feel like Bayonetta Two is so inherently tied with the fact that it's on Nintendo that it's really hard to say at this point what it could have been if it had been released on a different platform. Yeah. It probably was a completely different game when Sega was still bankrolling it and. Now that Nintendo was doing it, whether they influenced Platinum Games development or not is really, they're not going to say, we're never going to know. Yeah, so uh, sound-wise, an army of composers uh, came back to uh, work on this. Uh, there's Nafumi Harada, Hiroshi Yamaguchi, Norihiko Hubino, Takahito Izatani, all headed up by Masami Ueda. Also, a couple of uh, sort of major changes, perhaps the music that you hear most often in Bayonetta 1 is Mysterious Destiny, which is here replaced by a tune called Tomorrow is Mine, and uh, Fly Me to the Moon from the original is replaced by another kind of standard classic, Henry Mancini's Moon river from uh, breakfast at tiffany's i thought both of these were fine but i had a real uh, strong attachment to the original choices in the first game and so it always felt like these were sort of slightly subpar replacements but i i don't know if that's that's just purely my taste and my affection for the original game or whether that's something that other people will feel so let's find out so leah how about you I didn't have a particularly strong connection to the music in this game i thought that it fit pretty well but i I did not see it as being very remarkable, honestly. It uh, it was there, it was fine, but I did not, um, nothing really stuck out to me as, oh, I need the soundtrack for this. I mean, I love the piece that opens, really, the, the original Bayonetta, one of a kind, makes, a, makes a, a, a reappearance here, and I still think that piece is absolutely amazing. I guess my favourite piece of music from Bayonetta 2 is the choral piece that introduces Angel Enemies. I just think that whole mm. that whole piece of presentation is just yeah. so spectacular. I, I actually really like Tomorrow is Mine. I find it, find it quite a catchy track. And uh, yeah, maybe I've got quite into it. I associate it most maybe with pre-release hype of the game and just mm. getting excited that another Bayonetta game was coming out. So because the, yeah, we heard the track before that already and uh, on Nintendo of Europe's website it was... Uh, on loop on the, on the main side so <laughs> of course yeah, I, have quite, yeah. I have quite a, the affinity for it and Moon River only actually makes two or three appearances and you hear the uh, the Andy Williams version I think it is right at the very end at the end of the the interactive bit of credits when yeah. she's pole, pole dancing inappropriately to to this very very <laughs> sentimental schmaltzy old song that really got me as well not so much pole dancing but just hearing the song yeah. at that uh, in that incarnation yeah it's quite sparingly deployed Moon River isn't it I don't know if that was uh, by times. licensing rules yeah yeah <laughs> two right. times in the entire game and I I actually yeah. believe it's better than Fly Me to the Moon and it's a okay. damn shame that it didn't play get played more with Tomorrow Is Mine I feel like that's a completely overused piece of music in Bayonetta 2 okay. because in Bayonetta 1 there was more than just Mysterious Destiny that would play during fights there was Riders of the yeah. Light there was a couple of other ones whereas Tomorrow yeah, Is Mine is pretty much true. almost every single fight it gets old quick yes 
one other thing I meant to mention on the sort of technical front of this being on the Wii U and that sort of um, that springs to mind there is that the loading times here are considerably longer than I experienced um, having played the original from install on 360 and playing the recent PC version from a solid state drive is like there's no loading times at all. So going to the uh, Wii U version of Bayonetta 2 from a disc, I haven't played it in a digital version. Um, the loading times are, are at points very, very long. So again, if there is a Switch version or other format, uh, that would be nice to sort of bypass some of those. Obviously, you can practice. You can practice your moves in those bits, but there are points where I just wanted to get on with the game. Was there still a possibility to stay on the loading screen and yes. keep on uh, yeah. press minus. using commas? Press minus, right, because yeah. I didn't see a button prompt on the screen for oh, it. Yeah, uh, it's there. Okay. You might have had your overscan on too large or something like that Maybe. if it was chopped off the bottom. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> A key difference in the soundtrack uh, between the two games is the inclusion of dynamic music for boss fights based on progression in the second game. Uh, Ueda stated that the music uh, is broken up into phases, set off by triggers based on animations and other cues, uh, which allow for swells in the music to catch up with the action on screen. Similar approach is used in the stages as well, with as many as 10 shorter loops mixed together that transition based on the player's progress through the stage. Uh, and the soundtrack actually has 183 tracks compared to 150 tracks in the original. So there's actually more music, but it's uh, but I guess it's more to do with its uh, variations on a theme in a lot of cases. Does that do anything for you, the, the fact that the, the music escalates and builds in the fights? It was obviously a, a page taken from Metal Gear Rising. It does appropriately escalate the feeling of the gameplay. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's a nice change. It's something I remember. I mean, uh, lots of games have done it um, going all the way back. Uh, but this is, yeah, I guess this is the second Platinum game that's done it. But um, the one I always think of is uh, the N64 Mystical Ninja game, where mm. uh, as you solve the dungeons, which are kind of Zelda-esque, each level of progress, the, uh, the, the background music got kind of funkier and more elaborate. That was a lot yeah. of fun. So uh, we've sort of, we've brushed across it already, but uh, there's obviously a lot more to say. The core gameplay. Um, so as we say this is a third person action game um i, d I don't know yeah uh so leah you used the term it's not one i've used before uh, i would say combo beast combo based um <laughs> combo i thought you said combo beast i, I like, didn't yeah, that, but i mean that, i like that maybe we should coin that it's a combo <laughs> sure. beast game yeah TM, TM, well TM. yeah i mean that's what the score system ultimately is based around <laughs> sure. so if yeah. you are going into it uh, just to kind of get through the fights and get through the gameplay, then you can, as I kind of referenced before, you can kind of just mash through it. But if you are looking to get better scores and better um, better trophies uh, or rewards at the end than yeah. medals, uh, then, yeah, you're going to want to know exactly how everything kind of leans into the other moves that you have. Uh, and something that we haven't mentioned is that you can unlock additional moves uh, and additional um, techniques through the in-game store uh, mm -hmm. in, in addition to purchasing uh, items that you can use and, uh, and different costumes and that kind of thing. Um, you actually can customize your um your kind of loadout uh moves wise yep. with mm. uh with these things that you purchase so uh, if there are things that you feel are missing you can kind of gun for those right away i did not end up in one playthrough uh my most recent playthrough unlocking everything because i don't no. know that you can throughout one playthrough but as you keep going 
you can make yourself better or just change things up. And uh, that's that's not something that I'm normally proficient at, but uh, I did get into it uh, a little bit. Talking about the the audio design, now we talked about mm-hmm. the music, but also I, I find the uh, the actual the sort of the jingles and the chimes and everything. I, I remember when I first got a, my first Pure Platinum on the original Bayonetta, and I was like, I want more of these. And it wasn't just about <laughs> it wasn't just about that I've got good. It was about the fact that I got that beautiful little chime and that deliciously shiny little disc. Mm-hmm. So we should say that every chapter of the is it fifteen? I've forgotten. 14, 15, 16. 16, 16 chapters has a number of verses between one and fourteen verses, uh, and each one of those represents either a single boss battle or regular area battle or uh, a Muspelheim uh, challenge, which is where you go to another realm and have to win a fight using uh, certain conditions, such as not taking any hits or keeping one combo going or not hitting the floor, stuff like that. And it is entirely possible to miss uh, certain optional verses as well. There are secret battles as well. Yes, to the detriment of your score if you don't get those. So there's loads and loads to unpack and do here to find and discover. And then when you actually get into the battles, that's where, for me, the game is at its most joyous. Uh, I still actually prefer the group battles against a bunch of regular or mid-sized monsters to the boss fights, personally. That's the, the most enjoyment I get, which is where you're trying to link everything together and drag monsters into play and keep that combo going by keeping your pistols shooting. And my main question I've been burning to ask you is, as somebody who plays these games at a very moderate, mediocre level, how do I stop myself relying on the same old combos over and over again? Because it's so habitual to just think, well, this combo is great and it does a lot of damage, so I'm just going to keep spamming it. How do you keep all the different combinations in your head and remember when to use them? You're just going to say a thousand hours of practice, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's about utility I think most people when they first play they just they just probably spam the five punch combo and at the end of it that will that will launch an enemy horizontally but say for example you want to launch an enemy into the air you have to incorporate learn a different combo string so in that sense it's about just obviously yes play the game a little bit but one thing which I do like about Bayonetta is that the combo strings across all the different weapons are pretty much the same so you don't need to learn too many I think 25 maybe yeah yeah it's not too many it's not too many Mm. you know it's about thinking I want to try doing this let's let's see what I can get to do that um yeah I I also have that problem as well I fall into um a certain bunch of combo strings which I like to fall back on and it's fine. Oh, I feel better now. <laughs> like not every <laughs> single not every single one of them I think is incredibly useful. I'd say there's a couple, say in the first game, I'm gonna perfect the first game, where the last button press doesn't even end in a wicked weave, so you kind of wonder, mm. what is this for? And mm. I still haven't mm. figured out what it's for, quite frankly. That's good that's interesting. Yeah. So wicked yeah. weave for those who, who don't know is where you are you're, you're so bayonetta <laughs> if you don't know this, obviously Bayonetta's uh, clothes are made of her hair. Obviously. And- Yes. Uh, yeah, and this this actually goes back to kind of old European folklore, the idea that witches use their hair to um to curse people and attack people and do various unpleasant things. But her wicked weaves are where her hair enters the, the combo. So instead of just using her hands and feet or whatever she has attached to her hands and feet, guns, swords, whips, whatever, her hair turns into giant fists and uh, and feet and, and kicks things very, or punches things very, very hard. And if you're wearing one of the Nintendo uh, sort of Mushroom Kingdom themed costumes, you actually get Bowser fists in the, uh, in the, the Wii U versions. So that's worth your Wii U entry fee right there. I also wonder 
there's uh, a, a whole bunch of different weapons available. So there's, yeah, I've mentioned a few, but there's uh, the whips, the chainsaws. Uh, I, I've just started experimenting with the combination of salamandra, which is the sort of chainsaw weapons, and Alruna whip uh, feet, which I'm, I'm told is a very powerful combination. Do you have a favorite as a high-level player, Yoshesko? Do you try to get good with everything? I would hesitate to call myself a, a high-level player in Bayonetta 2 because I don't think I've put nearly as much time into it. Sure. Okay. That being said, I do like the whips, but the whips in Bayonetta 2 are extremely overpowered. Right, you, yeah. you kind of combine that, and I always like to have guns because when you dodge offset. So dodge offset ties into, well, it's really more relevant in the first game because what happens in the first game is when you continually hit an enemy with basic melee attacks, your combo count will go down until it reaches one, and it won't reset until you hit an enemy with a wicked weave. So... In order to do that, obviously you're playing the game, you're hitting enemies, you're dodging around, you want to be able to dodge offset your string. So you say you hit punch, you hit kick, you dodge, and then you hit punch, that's a wicked weave, so that means you've reset your score reduction penalty, it's called. Yeah, dodge offset is basically pausing your combo by holding down a an attack button and pressing dodge. That's basically it. So in that sense, when you're continually dodging and pressing a button, you will spray, if you've got guns equipped to your hands or feet, you will spray off bullets and it tends to keep your combo going. So yeah, for me, it would be Alruni. Yeah, the whips, basically. I like the scythe, personally, because it has okay. it has piercing blades. I do know that the hammer is very good, but it's also incredibly slow, and I still haven't slow, really yeah. figured out how to play with that. I know one of the guys on YouTube, Morning Lord, has a video of him pure platinuming the Lumen Sage on the Infinite Climax with the hammer, which is pretty hard because of aforementioned slowness. <laughs> but it is also incredibly high damaging. Is it well uh, designed enough, even Bayonetta 2, to make it feasible to do everything with every weapon set? Like, is it, are there any actual kind of um, drop balls in terms of it's just not possible to complete a certain section on pure platinum with a particular weapon combo or whatever, to your knowledge? In order to get pure platinum? Well, the thing is, in Bayonetta 2, it's been very heavily designed around the idea of Umbran Climax. So if you don't kill your enemies fast enough, you actually won't get pure platinum sometimes because the time ranking for most verses in this game is very strict. And I feel that it generally pushes players towards weapons that do heaps of damage. So you can say, for example, charge up your hammer, smash everything up in a couple of goes and you're done. Or you can use Umbran Climax. So in that sense, Mm. the game just subtly pushes the, the player to play in a certain way. So in what you're saying in terms of can I pure platinum the game with this weapon set? The answer would be no. Is the Umbran Climax, which is new to Bayonetta 2, is that a particular sticking point for you? I don't have any issues with Umbran Climax itself. It's a pretty, it's a different idea and I I like it, but the problem is in execution, it's not very well thought out. Like the whole whole balance towards how it affects your time rankings, how it affects your ability to just style enemies, how it affects how you use your magic, because more often than not, the best way to use your magic is to just use Umbran Climax because you can only yeah. you can only use your magic in a certain in a number of, in a number of ways. You can use instant with your like your Tetsu Tankers or your heal stomps. You can use uh, accessories that use up magic, but they tend to be ones for beginner players. Or you can use them for mm. torture attacks. Now, torture attacks will force an enemy to drop a weapon, which generally speaking are kind of high damaging, but not nearly as high damaging as Umbran Climax. So in a sense, the way it's been designed has pushed players to just use their magic for Umbran Climax only. 
that or yeah. use the bracelet of time. Yeah, which is, uh, I, I was reading about the bracelet of time last night because it sounds like a really useful thing to have. Although there's another way of getting the same effect in the Nintendo versions, which is with the Link costume and the Hylian shield, I think. Is that right? It does the same thing for less magic? They're two very different functions there. What you're talking about with the Hylian shield or what's known as the Moon of Mahakala, you can perfect parry and attack and you'll get extended witch time. The problem is, yeah. well, at least in Bayonetta 1, you can only get witch time up to hard. When you get to the hardest difficulty, you don't get witch time at all. Oh, yeah. In Bayonetta 2, it doesn't really work the same because you have to perfect parry and attack, whereas with Bracelet of Time, you just need to, you can activate it whenever you like. So that's the difference. Saw yeah. just blew my mind in the Beautiful Joe episode saying that he felt started feeling that witch time slowed him down. <laughs> I, just, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe that when I when I heard it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is a, that is a fantastic illustration of the difference between us mortals and the people who are well. I mean, obviously, Saw is is a legend, but uh, those people who have taken it taken it further. Uh, so, witch time for me. Yeah, I remember attempting to play uh, the original without witch time, and suddenly it's like, oh, now I've got to actually get good instead of uh, yeah. yeah. Witch time is is a great uh, a great leveler about uh, I'm a climax uh, still for, for a short bit I really love this general idea of building up a meter and then unleashing I think that really fits the concept of a climactic action game very well I mean yeah. I love it in fighting games where you build up your meter and unleash your super it's just you know that that sense of build up and then the the unleashing is just something I find endlessly enjoyable and yeah. uh, and and engaging but that said, for me as a layman player, Armor Climax and the way it was implemented kind of set off my uh, little alarm bells uh, on my first playthrough. Okay. Because I, prior to that, I had started to play Bayonetta 1, replaying chapters, playing on higher difficulty and trying to get my Platinums. And it becomes, as we spoke before, a very different game at that point. You start thinking about every button you hit uh, when you start to get your, your Platinums. Uh, it becomes this very, very, a very deliberate game all of a sudden. What Umbrella Climax did for me was kind of, it's like a, it creates a dumb out moment where you just, you know, you got your yeah. Umbrella Climax and you can just happily mash away at everything. And all, all thought uh, that went into your playstyle at that point is kind of, kind of lost there. I wonder, I mean, I was just going to talk about the, uh, the, the simple controls the and the touch controls. Camille said, I think the touchscreen controls are just an extension of the easy automatic mode we'd had with Bayonetta 1, like the prequel. And for the sequel, we have a mode that's catered towards a user who would like to play it more casually. And conversely, we have the modes that hardcore fans are going to find a challenge. I don't really see a big difference between the two. Also, we have still protected the core of Bayonetta, that thrill and interaction between player and character. Um, I My feeling is, now I don't know, I haven't got numbers to back this up, but my based on sort of anecdotal stuff from people I know who play video games for every person like Saw or Yashesk here or, or some of the other people who dedicate themselves to really, really getting good at these. There are probably a hundred people who would buy a game like this and just button mash through it once and never play it again. I certainly think that they might be selling themselves short, but as somebody who does jump from game to game and you know, I don't just keep playing the same game over and over in, in that in that way. I sort of have a certain amount of sympathy. But equally, I think my feeling is that people owe it to themselves if if they do play Bayonetta uh, or, or even Bayonetta 2 is to kind of keep playing beyond what feels like the natural button bashing end. And actually, I think my feeling is that it really starts to come alive once you actually start to engage with the systems a bit more. But that said, a lot of people will be perfectly satisfied with the the sheer 
spectacle of and and the the power fantasy of kind of bashing through it as simply as possible. And what you guys think about that? Well, I think that a strength of the game, and and I kind of mentioned this before, is that it does allow for both. So I mean, if you want to be the spectacle player, which I'm somewhere in the middle, but I lean more towards the spectacle end. If you want to start there and then later on decide, hey, you know what? I really liked this. I want to take this further. There is such a vast spectrum of players here. I mean, there's people who play a lot of different games. There's people who only maybe buy one or two games a year. There's, you know, people who have a ton of time to do this and people who maybe don't have that much time, an hour or two a week or, or, you know, something closer to that end. So I really think that that is a strength of this game in particular and this type of game in general when it can cater to a different number of options like that. Yeah. Yeah, whether it's because whether you only want to play it as a simple button masher because mm-hmm. that's all you can do or whether it's just because that's all you've got the mental energy for and you get enough out of it, that's cool. It makes a mockery of trying to sort of um, really review and grade these games, I think, mm. because because of this, you know, this level of complexity. You, you, you're almost reviewing a different product to play it at a that's level. That's why reviews are bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I think this this sounds like a good opportunity for for you, Yoshesk, to explain to us what it is about Bayonetta 2, the the core functions that are buried deep in there that most of us wouldn't notice that, in your opinion, and and I suspect the opinion of of other kind of Bayonetta superfans, make this uh, an inferior experience to the original. Let's talk with dodging. I have to play very differently when I play Bayonetta 2 because... In Bayonetta mm-hmm. 1, I'm able to dodge with a direction held. It's the timing of the dodge. You can continually dodge without turning into Panther Within, which you can't turn off. Whereas in Bayonetta mm. 2, because I'm so used to playing Bayonetta 1, and this is fully on me, if I dodge with a direction held, I end up turning into a cat every single goddamn time. So for me, that change was really odd, and I have talked to other players as well who feel very similarly. Um, I think it's what other players would say feels more responsive to them, but for players like myself, it's a very wide window to activate Panther Within, which to me yeah. is less responsive. So it's mm. a bit of yeah. it's a bit of both worlds here. The other thing, uh, so going on from that, you go from Panther Within in Bayonetta One. If you dodge, you know you've got a lot of momentum when you're running around as a Panther. You dodge out of that, and you would fling yourself forward. In Bayonetta 2, if you dodge out of a panther, you just stop dead. Your momentum stops mm. dead, and it feels yeah. really wrong. Yeah, it's an abomination, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Umbrin Climax? Uh, yeah, what we were talking about before in terms of the mm. brainless button mashing, I, f- I yeah. personally feel like Bayonetta 1 already allowed you to do that. Um, if you really mm. wanted to, you can mindlessly button yeah. mash. Bayonetta 2 sort of completely goes on the other end of the spectrum and makes it really, really easy for you to do that, along with being able to use items with impunity and not have it mm. negatively affect your score in any way feels like a kind of a slap yeah. in the face from what is pretty standard with this genre of game, if I'm to understand correctly. Mm. You can get a pure platinum and you can swallow as many yellow lollipops as you like. Yeah, I was really surprised by that. I did that too because I was playing for the, my second playthrough this time. I was playing on third climax, and some of the later boss battles gave me a bit of trouble. And mm. I just started eating purple, uh, purple <laughs> uh, lollipops and start armor climaxing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, there, there are workarounds here, which um, yeah, t- definitely detract from the yeah. You, yeah I, it I feels was like thinking, you're cheating. Yeah, you could you can grind for lollipop materials in this game. We should say this: we, you can cook up 
items for yourself, although it's slightly less interesting in, in this one, although probably slightly less time consuming than it was in the first. Uh, you go around collecting bits and making yourself uh, yellow, red, purple, green uh, lollipops, which which power you up in various ways or make you invincible. But yeah, there's, I, 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 again, I couldn't remember if I was remembering it wrong at first. I was thinking there's got to be a reason why I'm not allowed to just keep noshing on invulnerability stuff but no it just it doesn't punish you does it it's very odd and death punishes you very hard or, or less harsh so than in the first game maybe but it still mm. punishes you very harsh harsh so it's better to take a green lollipop and still get a pre- uh, yeah get a decent ranking yeah your purple mm. lollipops come invaluable in this game because you can just top up your magic to get enough for an unknown climax and you're sold pretty much and no one would yeah. either, no one would be any the wiser in terms of that pure platinum. It's not necessarily the reason why Bayonetta Two is worse than Bayonetta One, but it's the reason that I look at and think, why did they have to change this? I do know that Bayonetta One is not the most friendliest game to approach, and Bayonetta Two made good steps in terms of making it more accessible. But yes. the lollipop thing was a bit too far. Any other uh, elements on your list? Launching enemies. So yeah. in Bayonetta 1, it was pretty easy to launch an enemy into the air and keep that enemy in the air. In yeah. Bayonetta 2, for whatever reason, any enemy that's heavier than a small regular angel enemy, like sort of small horse ones, will not mm-hmm. stay in the air. You can only launch them with a uppercut wicked wave in witch time, and you can't relaunch them. For whatever reason, you once it's in the air, you can't relaunch them. If an enemy is dizzy, you can't launch them either. It's There's some really weird behavior with the enemies in this game. What I always say about Bayonetta 2 is that it's not consistent in how it implements a lot of its systems. The relaunching thing is a big one. Because you'll see, if you ever look at Bayonetta 2 combo videos, so with your, it's pretty much mandatory to use Bracelet of Time to keep them in the air. Because right. enemies will randomly block you. Which, there's an easy workaround for that, but it seems like a very arbitrary limitation put on comboing enemies. Although people people are either, how can you enjoy fighting enemies that are just sandbags in the air, or Mm. you want enemies that fight back at you. The relaunching thing, Mm. some of the accessories in the game kind of, I feel, Mm. were made redundant through just some of the gameplay choices. So for instance, there's an accessory called the Star of Donetta, which allows you to regain health by taunting. Now, yeah. the problem is, I think people are probably only really used it in Angel Slayer, which is like an endurance mode in the first game. In Bayonetta 2, they removed the endurance mode. It's it's chopped up into five little chapters, and it's they give you health at the end of each verse in each chapter. Yeah. So they effectively have a, an accessory that I don't think anyone would ever use. <laughs> that, to me, kind of spoke to a complete lack of thought that they put into the game because I cannot think of an, a situation where you would ever use it. Obviously, it was a change of director and um, Yusuke Hashimoto has got some fantastic games on his CV as um, as a visual effects guy, um, as an animation guy. He's worked on games like uh, Resident Evil Zero, Resident Evil 4, Devil May Cry. But I think this was his first game as a director. And it does make you wonder if, you know, and since then he's worked on um, Mario Tennis Ultra Smash and Star Fox Zero, neither of which kind of tore the place up in terms of um, review scores. But again, their development may have been somewhat uh, hampered and curtailed by the platform that uh, that they're on. But it does make you wonder if some of these, I would associate the, the very best deep systems in these games with Hideki Kamiya. Mm. And knowing that he was only a supervisor makes me wonder if some of these things, which, again, a lot of us wouldn't notice. And, and it's, it's fantastic to have you here sort of, um, Joshesk, sort of uh, pointing out some of this stuff, which I, you know, now you say it, it's like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but at <laughs> the time, as somebody who 
played a, a, a moderate amount of Bayonetta 1 and quite a while ago I wasn't so cognizant of some of these changes but I just wonder if Camille would have if he'd been more than a supervisor would have made sure that some of these things had been tightened up and, and made if not made closer to the original game then at least made different in a way that still continued to please the, the kind of core fan base it seems like every time a sequel is uh, made to a game that was originally uh, directed by Hideki Kamiya mm-hmm. something ends up lost and the worst example is of course the second devil may cry but yeah. I mean beautiful Joe number two yeah it's also not directed by Kamiya and it's not not a bad game by any stretch but certainly not as good as the first one either so it's yeah it's kind of this thing that keeps on repeating which is why I sort of before before Bayonetta 2 released and I didn't go into that with my history of the game but I actually started feeling a little bit more excited about the wonderful 101 before Bayonetta 2 got released yeah sure well We'll cover that some other day. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really peculiar game. But yes, with, with auteur directors like Camille, you can only be spread so thin, I guess. And and also he doesn't necessarily himself maybe like to work on sequels so closely. He seems to want to, you know, he's, he's got the kind of mind that wants to take him on to the next different new thing. So maybe it's partly that. Jakob G42 from the forum says, like a lot of people, I played a lot of Bayonetta, probably around 80 hours, enough to feel pretty comfortable with non-stop infinite climax, unlock Jean, etc. Bayo becomes a completely different game when playing it that intensely. The spectacle of it, which is the main appeal for the first playthrough, is a complete afterthought. I kept playing for the perfectly built combat. The game kept teasing me that I could do things just a little more perfectly than I had before, and I was more than happy to oblige it. Despite the removal of some of the more advanced techniques in Bayonetta 2, that that perfect combat system is still totally there. The problem comes, somewhat surprisingly, from the pacing of the game. The middle levels are an absolute slog of admittedly visually spectacular boss fights that just aren't nearly as much fun to master. The AI cheats in a way that it rarely did in Bayonetta 1, requiring which time to dish out damage in a way that also limits combo potential. The standard enemies are just as fun as ever to fight, and the new weapons are an absolute blast. I think it's telling that the most fun I had with the game is in the Lost Chapters, which are just room after room of angels and demons to test one's skills on. Bayonetta 2 is a great game, however... I think there was a particular brand of magic in Bayonetta 1 that Platinum just wasn't quite able to recapture. That's Jakob's take. Obviously, it's a slight difference of opinion as regards to the, the, the systems all being there and in place, but also questions as regards to the pacing. And it's something I do find weird. Actually, even the first game was like this to an extent, but even more so now. The huge differences in length and aim of chapters. So you go from peaks and troughs and valleys and dips through various whether it's a, a bunch of regular fights, uh, regular foes, and then a single boss fight, and then an exploratory section, and then you'll have the odd bit of almost platforming or semi-puzzle, platform puzzle kind of stuff. I, I guess it does keep it interesting in terms of the variety, but also I, I feel like it, it is it's kind of uneven. I don't know. I have a specific problem with Bay too, because it tends to, it just hammers you with so many boss fights, mm. one after the other, and you kind of lose the impact of them. Bayo 1 does this a little bit better because there's a bit of build up to each cardinal virtue. So you get introduced to them in the levels before you meet them. Whereas in Bayo yeah. 2, you only really kind of mm. get a, a glimpse of the first boss. And then after that, you go through, I think, three bosses very, very quickly. It just completely loses the impact. And when you're, I guess, when your intro is the Gamora fight, it's really hard to top that. But it yeah. definitely could have been paced a little bit better. That's, that's sort of what I was I was trying to get at, but expressing it really badly. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, one thing that maybe this, this is not quite the right place to say this, but playing through the game for the, only the second time, I did started to appreciate that 
the bosses in uh, Bayer 2, there are a lot more humanoid-style bosses in it uh, in comparison to a lot of uh, big lumbering masses that you're fighting in uh, in the first Bayonetta. Mm. So I started appreciate. I didn't quite like them as much, but in the second playthrough, I started appreciating the, appreciating the uh, fights against uh, the Prophet and later uh, Aesir quite a bit more actually. Because if, if it started feeling more like a one, like more like one-on-one duels. And one of the things that uh, this sort of comes back to the aesthetics and the and the stylistics of the game. One of the things I still really love about Bayonetta Two that I think it does retain from the first game is, although it's um, it's it's very dark and weird in some ways, and also high, highly camp and and silly in others. Uh, I love the fact that uh, you can be fighting these really bizarre and incredible looking enemy bosses uh, I, lo- I still love the aesthetic with the masks where you smash off the masks and the uh, and the kind of gnarly gribbly faces are underneath but the 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 humor in the climaxes where you you summon whichever hairy creature you want uh, there's a few few debutantes here there's a lot of humor uh, in those moments as well with the, with the <laughs> monsters kind of you know panicking or even right to the very very last boss where you uh, you actually have to steer him towards his final demise into the monster's mouth yeah, it's like a call, call back to the first one where you punch uh, the creator Deus through the through the sun, right? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And there was also one bit uh, speaking about those kind of uh, climax scenes, like that I found actually almost disturbing, where uh, Madame Butterfly jams uh, the, the sword of the the, the sword carrying angel. I forgot the name, uh, right in between his shoulders repeatedly. Mm. Yeah, it's a really it's a really weird mix between kind of brutal finishes and what I. Think are almost kind of childish or yeah. humorous mm. kind of finishes. So you've yeah. got like where she's, I guess, dancing on that snake enemy, which is a little bit more humorous. And then you've got you know jamming a, a sword down something's throat. Yeah. It's really odd. It doesn't. It doesn't quite mesh for me. I think the overall tone of the game was a little bit. I guess it's the reason why it's M sixteen as with M eighteen. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And then yeah, and uh, I mean to mention some other silly moments. You've got. Uh, I think this is. I, I remember something of this from the first game. There's a there's a kind of volleyball <laughs> section. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where there's a big toad. The ball ball turns up in this one and uh, and eats something. God, those there's so much. Um, there's so much to be said for the uh, sort of visual imagination with with these uh, monsters and and the um, the interactions between the the hair demons that you summon and the angels. It looks and sounds unlike anything else. And and I I think again I'm coming back to the aesthetic here a bit, but uh, but I don't want to undersell it. You know how much fun I had with that side of the game when you've got that really kind of intense, almost uh, you know Japanese disco funk kind of music playing behind these absolutely crazy scenes almost beyond imagination of these really bizarrely designed angels fighting demons it it is um it is if nothing else even if the um the systems aren't all in place there's so much just to enjoy there even if if i was just watching it as a kind of um you know an animation in itself i would rather watch these bits than the than the kind of the dialogue scenes you know the <laughs> the madness of the of the 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 interdimensional combat between the uh, between the various factions it's a lot of fun K Sub Zero says back on the um, the sort of weapons and combos of weapons. Uh, K Sub Zero One Thousand says the weapon variety is top notch. The dialer combo system has never been as smooth and satisfying. The production values are surprisingly high for a niche Wii U game. The enemy designs are creative and less repetitive than in most other action games, and the bosses strike a perfect balance between audio visual spectacle and meaty mechanical challenge. One aspect I'd like to mention is the fluidity of the dual weapon setup. My go-to setup consists of using Love Is Blue or uh, and Alruna for 
crowd control, long-range combat and fight initiations, only to switch to Takamizuchi <laughs> and Undyne during one-on-one -on -one encounters or to inflict massive damage during Witch Time or Umbran Climax. I like how this setup gives me the tools to deal with pretty much every situation the game throws at me. How satisfying is it to land these sweet Takamikazuchi? Takamikazuchi. <laughs> it's not that hard. Why? I'm struggling. Uh, charge combos during Witch Time after a successful dodge offset. Yet other players seem to have great success while using entirely different setups. I really like this customization aspect of the combat. Uh, yeah, so we talked about this a little. But again, yeah, I just wanted to say like, I spent sort of 20 hours playing through the game on normal difficulty and replaying chapters uh, using the swords over and over again, uh, Rakshasa or Rasetsu, uh, depending on whether you're playing as Bayo or Jean. Uh, and I was I really love the sounds that those swords make. Uh, mm -hmm. But then I, I watched somebody else's video. Apologies, Yoshesk, of uh, them getting pure <laughs> platinum with uh, with Salamandra and realized that those do is significantly more damage. Uh, but they do make rather annoying chainsaw noises. Uh, and, there, and then I read and then I read that that with whips on your feet is is the way forward. And it does. I've, I've since uh, upped my score on several different stages and um, verses and chapters with that setup. So um, if I can find time, I'd love to carry on, keep sort of, you know, going through the game and replaying certain sections with that set up. And um, yeah, that's, as I say, I think that's for me is where the game really, really starts to offer a lot, even with those uh, shortcomings that obviously Yosheska has already talked about. What I noticed also with Elrun is that some of the, boss, the bosses uh, seem, don't seem to know what hit them when you, you use them. You know, you can uh, interrupt some of their animations and they don't seem to be able to parry it. It seems like you can score a lot of cheap damage that way with uh, oh, yeah. whipping around. They're pretty broken, those whips. Worth mentioning also that in the Umber Climax mode, it kind of does different things to the weapons that you're using. But mm. by and large, um, it makes them bigger. So you, uh, in, in particular, I ended up, I settled pretty much into uh, whips on my hands and uh, the swords on my feet. And that gives you a lot of range, in particular, when you are using the Umber and Climax mode, you just are kind of hitting everything around you. So uh, I found that a pretty effective way to do crowd control, personally. It's very satisfying. Uh, although wear, wearing those swords on your heels looks really risky. <laughs> it also looks pretty silly, but um, it works. I was just going to say that. You just realize you put sword on your Swords mm -hmm. on your feet? Yeah, yeah, I mean, is it any more they... ridiculous than chainsaws on your feet? It definitely no, not. That's, that's, that's even a step higher, yeah. Gun, actually, gun heels uh, actually yeah. seems kind of uh, low-key after, after yeah, yeah. seeing those. Very logical, very logical. Yeah. Yes. If you wear the chainsaws on your feet, you actually kind of skate around as well. Uh, <laughs> so she she uses her loses the usual walking animation and replaces it with a kind of um, sparks flying uh, chainsaw skate kind of thing going on which is particularly silly but uh yeah those swords actually clip um through your character if you wear them on your heels so i'm surprised because some weapons you can't wear on your feet uh, there's a couple of them uh the claws and the bow you can't wear on your feet i guess for obvious reasons but the swords you can and yet they clip through your model all the time looking like they're slicing your your butt cheeks off most most of you most of the day uh, Yoshesk, you mentioned the Rodan fight. Is this does this relate to the platinum ticket that you buy for nine nine nine, whatever it is, Halos in the shop? Is that how you you get the the, the Rodan fight? So, if I recall correctly, in Bayonetta two, the platinum ticket unlocks after the Gates of Hell chapter, which I think is chapter ten, mm. and it costs one less than ten million Halos. The platinum ticket in this game, I find particularly not very good. Again, it's not very consistent. There's the issue with mm. the camera, which I mentioned earlier. 
halfway through, he'll turn into a demon where he will just completely ignore most of your attacks, actually. So you have to get witch time to hurt him, which yeah. was actually mentioned by K-Sub-Zero, the whole thing that you can't actually attack certain bosses outside of witch time. You have to be in witch time. So there's, a, there's yeah. a reliance of hitting an enemy, dodging, getting witch time, attacking them a little bit, and then rinse and repeat. There's no mm. way to. There's no other way to do it. I mean, the first half is pretty good, actually, I think. And then when he turns mm. into demon mode, it becomes kind of not very well So the prize, is, the prize is playable Rodan, is that right? And is he as powerful as, as he is in the bit where you play alongside him in the game? Is he sort of stupidly overpowered? You know, I don't think I've played him very much in Tag Climax. Um, he does have the same moveset. Ah. Like they, they have fully fleshed right. out both him and the Lumen Sage with pretty decent movesets. Ooh. And yeah, anything that you see him do in that Gates of Hell chapter, he can do when you're controlling him, which is pretty nice. Ah. He just smashes it, uh, enemies instantly. In the- yeah, it doesn't quite work that way, unfortunately. <laughs> Obviously, this game isn't on PS3 or 360, so it doesn't have actual achievements. But what they've done is uh, they've taken the achievements f- uh, from the, uh, the original game and made them into these uh, Umbran Tears of Blood. Bewitchments, yes. So there's various uh, various things to collect and a lot, and they they relate to the achievements from the original game. Um, crows to catch, things like that. Uh, so there's always more. There's, there's there's a ton of stuff to do in this game, and uh, something that I appreciate. I know sometimes these things aren't given much credence, but I actually thought the the world of Bayonetta Two Gallery Museum was a really nice, nicely fully featured unlockable space with the ability to view all the models, loads of concept art, listen to all the music and so on and so forth. So I always appreciate that stuff. It's just disappointing to me how there's no extra concept art that you see outside of the game, actually. I do right, have the right. Eyes of Bayonetta 2, which is the uh, the art book. And pretty much what you see in the game is what you will get in that book. So oh, okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, mm. actually don't recommend that one. If you get the Eyes of Bayonetta 1... I do mm-hmm. recommend that one. It's really good. It's actually yeah. been translated to English as well, which is a nice yeah. bonus. And it's thick. It's like it's like double the size of the Bayonetta two one. And this is so much detail. Nice. You get all this uh, all this concept art by Mari Shima- Shimizaki, right? Yeah, yeah. Pages mm. and pages of all these concepts of Bayonetta that got thrown out because yeah, she talks about the whole process as well, which is really interesting. Whereas in Bayonetta two, you just you just literally get the final design. Hmm, disappointing. Yeah, to say the least. Back with Suits from the forum says, What a weird, wonderful game. Controls felt really tight and really responsive. The rapid, punchy button inputs felt snappy and chunky when they needed to. The pro controller felt great to use. The only thing I didn't feel too at home with were the movement aspects. Sometimes the way the camera would move around Cereza as the battles progressed felt a bit odd. But this was perhaps a time with a time with issue. And after a few more hours, I'd have gotten used to the flow. I did like the witch's theme. I thought that was cool and the art was good, crisp, clear and sharp. It's like going to a really famous popular restaurant but not liking anything on the menu. If I said I enjoyed it, I'd feel like I was just saying that to go with the flow. I understand the reasons and the praise that it gets, mind, and it's a wonderfully polished game, but I tried it, and although I didn't really get on with it, I do appreciate my time with it, and I'm glad that I picked it up and gave it a go. So weird and wonderful but didn't like it. Interesting. Um, Busker Lily from the forum says I think Bayonetta 2 suffers from a lot of the problems Super Mario Galaxy 2 suffers from in the haste to get players to the good stuff the sense of pacing and story and a journey is lost Bayonetta had a perfect mix of difficult and empowering slower moments and out and out action the characters were wonderfully realised and the tale was tastefully told Bayonetta 2 has more bosses more action more bombast but at times it felt like it was piled on so thick I couldn't keep up whereas Fly Me to the Moon was woven into Bayonetta's story and gameplay masterfully Moon River 
feels like it's here because people expect it. Cereza in the original was precocious but lovable, whereas Loki here occasionally crossed the line into irritating. Bayonetta's enemies were tough and every battle felt like a duel. This meant that when there was a boss it was a big deal. In Bayo 2, enemies felt a little more like cannon fodder and so the bosses were piled on much more thickly. Maybe I'd gotten good after playing the first game quite soon before the second, but Bayonetta 2 never felt quite as challenging. This meant less frustration, certainly, but also less triumph. Where it shone, the Lumen Sage and the ending bringing hell into the mix, the challenges and bonuses, it was brilliant. In the end, all I'm saying is this perfect game was a little less perfect than the perfect game which came before. And also Josh uh, Joshida from the forum, Bayonetta is my favourite game of all time. Despite telling myself that I wouldn't fork out for a Wii U to play the sequel, I did just that. Though ultimately I didn't find the game to be quite as good as Bayonetta, I still hold it up to be one of the best games released that year and one of the best third-person action games ever made. It suffers from sequel syndrome. Everything is turned up to 11 and the pacing suffers as a consequence. The first game had an amazing trajectory wherein you start fighting single angels and finishes with actually kicking God into the sun. And while Bayonetta 2 had wonderful moments, I didn't feel as though it quite hit that crescendo like the first game did. In addition, I feel like new enemy types were added a little too frequently, making it hard to get into any type of rhythm, and I found the story to be even more baffling than the original, although I do still enjoy the characters and setting and the art design to be brilliant. A fantastic game, just not quite as fantastic as its predecessor. Uh, you mentioned Yoshes Tag Climax. Now, I'd completely forgotten this was a thing. There's some online functionality in Bayonetta 2. That's the limit of my knowledge. I haven't engaged <laughs> with it. I assume it doesn't do anything now. I don't know. Uh, what, what was the score with this? So basically, it's an online co-op mode where you basically select fights and you basically see who can deal the most damage because it scores you based on damage. And at the end of the day, you see who wins between you two because more points means uh -huh. you win. That was, basically, yeah. that was basically it. So you could also select the difficulty. You would um, select a loadout. that you, There was only one loadout you could have at the time because I imagined having two loadouts. Loadout. Sorry, two loadouts on online mode would be kind of insane. You could also pick the characters as well. So I mentioned earlier you could play as on top of the three witches, Rodan and Boulder. So it's a, it's a pretty fun little thing. I think it kind of fits into the whole button mashing kind of, I just want to sit back and relax and just hit some buttons and see the bright colors come up and have it yeah. excite me. But I think now yeah. <laughs> there's not too many people playing it anymore. Um, you'd have to basically just find, no. friend, find friends to play with. Mickey or Leah, did either of you have a play on this? I did a little bit, but okay. I never never went into it too deep. It's kind of interesting from what I remember, because I it was a while ago, that there's a little bit of a competitive uh, element in the co-op as well, right? Yes. Because you, you get scored individually. Yeah, so you're, mm. you're so working you, together you, to kill enemies, but you're... You're trying to get most points. So you, sometimes people try to steal your combo, basically, or <laughs> oh, inter yeah. interrupt or try, try to throw you off. Well, uh, I wonder if that will make it if it does, if the game does come to the Switch. So it's been heavily hinted. My personal belief is that there will be hopefully a double pack. If they can fit both on one Switch cartridge, that would be amazing to have Bayonetta 1 and 2 on one little dinky Switch cartridge. I would love that so much. Now we've had a, a really nice port of the original on the PC. There has been some sort of speculation that maybe it could come to Steam, but there is the issue with the fact that it's got Star Fox and Princess Peach in it and Bowser, and would they have to you know, remove all that stuff to have it on another platform? Even maybe on the PC they could do it, but uh, we had th some three-word reviews. Eric Jones said, come to Sony. Gareth Cutliffe said, want on PS4. Chris Chapman said, Xbox One, please. 
Um, I'm going to say I think that's probably unlikely at this stage. Anyone got any thoughts on this? Any inside knowledge? No, but it's doubtful. I can see the switch conversion, but um, I, I don't. I don't think anything else is probably going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Switch switch conversion probably makes sense. It's uh, likely that will happen. Yeah, especially to uh, recoup some of the money they probably lost or didn't make back on uh, on yeah. the, on the Wii U version. So yeah, fingers crossed. They've shown themselves willing to do that with some um, of the, particularly the first party games that may have come out on the Wii U, since they seem to be pretty cognizant that uh, many Wii U games did not receive the audience that they might have liked. So mm. um, yeah, I I think that. Given the success of some of the Wii U ports that have come to the Switch already, I, I think this seems like a, a pretty likely one. Hope so. Finally, from the forum, this is KSubZero1000 again, who says, Unfortunately, the first Bayonetta never clicked with me the way it did with so many others. I still played through it several times from beginning to end, and I certainly respect what it tried to achieve, but I was never fully on board with it. But as a huge fan of the genre, I felt like I had to check out the sequel and judge it on its own merits. I'm very glad I did, because I consider Bayonetta 2 to be everything a sequel should be albeit a safe one. I found the colour palette to be much more appealing this time around, and the story, while still ultimately over the top and nonsensical, is being presented in a much less grating manner. The extras are very nice as well. I haven't touched the tag climax mode, but getting the pure platinum medals for the witch trials was enough to keep me occupied for days after completing the main game. And the insanely challenging secret Rodan fight made me sweat and curse like a sailor until he finally went down after dozens and dozens of tries. As great as it is, the game still has flaws, Kafka is completely useless, a combo ruining weapon, Resentment's one hit kill attack can be a bit cheap, and the game does have some visibility problems when facing large or multiple enemies at the same time, which can sometimes cause the player to miss out on a crucial dodge parry window. And I don't understand why I can't find any mention of the incredibly useful dash manoeuvre, activated by double tapping the lock on button anywhere. In the end, while Bayonetta 2 does not reinvent the wheel, it is still a polished and deeply enjoyable game with a ton of replay value, which is more than worthy of standing shoulder to shoulder with the other heavyweights in its genre. My heart will probably always belong to Ninja Gaiden Black, but I can safely say that I consider Bayonetta 2 to be my second favourite action game and the pinnacle of the Kamiya-esque design philosophy. Your opinion may vary, as is always the way. Uh, we always like to hear, uh, you know... Our, our own subjective take and it is interesting that um the perception there were a few comments which uh, which i haven't left in but a few comments from people saying why are people so down on bayonetta 2 and but equally we've had people saying that you know it's it's their favorite in the genre or their favorite in the series at least so yeah uh, your mileage may vary as always and uh, as for that question why are people so down on it i think it's uh, because the first game was so great in the first place sometimes it's that the platform yeah. it was released on that, you know, was not in the majority of homes, gamers' homes, I think caused some some unpleasant feelings towards it. All sorts. So there's always context, as we always say. Can you review it in just three words? Well, a few people have. If I could ask the esteemed panel to join me in reading these from Twitter, follow us at Kane and Rinse. Andrew Brown says Nintendo gets sexy. David Merritt says spellbinding, preferred original. Jakob G42 says lightning twice, almost. Pace of zero, 1000. Fluid frenetic fun. And Metal Gear Glenn says slick, stylish action. Thank you, everybody. Uh, I think I heard a certain bitterness in Yoshesk having to read that, uh, that very positive. I didn't think I heard so. It too. No? Oh. <laughs> that's, that's truly deep in my subconscious then. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we can have your full and frank summary as our special guest. You, you get to go last. But I shall go first with my feelings on Bayonetta 2. So I really loved. The original, I still do. Um, I would love the 
chance, time, opportunity to go back and ace it all over again, or even more ace it than I did back in 2010, was it, when it came out originally, mm-hmm. first time? Yep. Uh, so yeah, um, I've got lots of empty, uh, trophy slots on, uh, or, you know, chapter award slots on Bayonetta on Wii U and on PC to fulfill. It's one of those things that if I had infinite time, pardon the pun, I would love to sit down and just get really, really, really good. And as much as anything, I just love that thing where you go back through and you, and you use all the right accessories to, and play the right chapters to grind insane amounts of halos. It's so satisfying. Just watching all those shiny Sonic-esque rings flying into your uh, avatar is just delicious. And then going and spending them in the shop on uh, whether it's cosmetic items or, or not. Um, so as I've said repeatedly, and as I usually say on Kane and Rinse, I'm a, I'm a moderate game player. Um, and I tend to get very quickly sucked into not button bashing necessarily, but certainly repeating combos in these games. And that frustrates me as much as anything. Uh, I would like to get to the point where I was thinking about every single combo I was using in every situation. Um, but that's probably a, a luxury of time that, that I'll never have. These games, I think, do work on more than one level. They certainly do for me, both as a uh, an insane, like, surrealist violent sexy roller coaster ride of of surrealist nonsense and action and excitement and fun uh, and also there's a hugely deep game in there even with the misgivings that uh, Yoshesk has, has uh, so eloquently told us about I think um, for most of us I think those are things that pro- can probably be forgiven or bypassed even if there are some bizarre design decisions like not being punished for using an unlimited amount of uh, invulnerability lollipops and things like that so definitely does seem like there were some maybe some mistakes made in, in the change of development team and director for, for this sequel but as far as sequels go like I, I don't think I'll ever have as much affection for this game as, as I do for the first game because it hit at a certain time and I have huge amounts of nostalgia for the uh, everything about that game just the, the way it, the way it looks sounds and, and feels but I, I have had I have had great fun with this sequel um, I don't think it will stick in the same way necessarily but that said I would snap it up in a heartbeat if it arrives on switch especially if they you know if they they could even take the opportunity to tighten things up a little bit and maybe address some of the questions that the the real hardcore fans have about the the systems in the game they could even make it bayonetta 2 dx or something like that that would be that would be awesome so um yeah definitely recommended especially if you've got a wii u and you haven't played this this is like one of the coolest uh looking things you can play on your wii u so definitely play it uh leah I probably fall as the most casual player of this particular game on this particular show, but um, I would also recommend uh, picking this up if you have not played it and do have access to a Wii U. I really like, and this is true of both uh, the first Bayonetta and and Bayonetta 2, I really like the enemy designs and the world design. That's something that really got me into this, even though, as I've mentioned several times, I'm not, uh, I'm not particularly proficient in this type of game, but it's it's fun for me to be able to go into these worlds that have really just kind of gone all the way with everything in it. Uh, everything is over the top and it's unapologetically just big and flashy and crazy. And, and you can go in here and there is a um, an unrealistically proportioned woman who is incredibly confident in everything that she does, and rightfully so, because she is incredibly powerful. Uh, but she's she's literally summoning hair dragons. And, you know, that that that's not 
those aren't words that you hear very often. Not often uh, enough. No, I don't think so. Plus, you have these, uh, the enemies that you're fighting. I mean, you would generally think of angels as things that you're not fighting. But here, <laughs> yeah, they're they're big and they're majestic and they're, uh, they're beautiful in a way, but they're also really creepy and kind of unnerving. And they have those creepy faces that you mm. have to uh, bust open and and not everything is as you would necessarily think that it should be. Uh, and, and I really like that. I like that it plays with the expectations in a visual sense and does so without doing it halfway. Um, the, the, that to me is uh, probably the biggest part. I enjoyed the spectacle more than I enjoyed the actual gameplay. But I think that the gameplay is is fine. I like that it will adjust to meet whatever you want out of it. And I I, I mentioned that I did not play um, any of the online modes in this game, but it's also a game that actually lends itself pretty well to kind of a couch co-op because you can just pass your controller back and forth in between. That's actually the first time that I played mm. uh, any of this game. I played with uh, Elaine, my my former podcasting partner, best friend and uh, buddy, uh, friend of the show. So um, she and I played through it and um, I, I don't remember whether we played all of the chapters, but a number of them were just us passing the controller back and forth yeah. in between chapters. And it worked out really well that way because, you know, Know, it, we're experiencing this completely ridiculous spectacle, you know, and just having fun with it. So it, from that to incredibly detailed and skilled playthroughs, this game can really fit whatever you, you kind of want out of it. Uh, and and I definitely would recommend it on, on those merits. Well said. Thanks, Leah. And so to McKeel. Bayonetta 2, when I first started playing it, it uh, made an excellent impression on me because it seems to address all the... Uh, surface flaws of the first game very well like the mini game sections in the original bayonetta the um the, the space area inspired section just lasted <laughs> too long and didn't feel quite as right which i was surprised by by mm. the way because since Camilla is such a big fan of space harrier mm. totally missed that sort of inertia that uh, space harrier had it felt more like you were guiding a cursor across the screen, so to speak. We didn't actually mention there's a uh, sort of staff afterburner come Star Fox level in this game appropriately enough. Yeah, which is much better than very brief, that yeah. in, the fir- in the first game, though. Yeah, also the, the, the super hang-on section, the bike section, uh, took way too long in the first game for me. Mm-hmm. The much-mentioned instant-death quick-time uh, events <laughs> were out. Once I started getting into the game, it's cracks as far as the system were concerned started showing. And that's me not speaking on Yoshi's level, but yeah. on, on a more layman level, but still as someone who likes to be a little bit analytical about play mechanics and uh, likes to get into things and think about systems and what makes them tick. That's why you're here, man. As I mentioned before, the Yammer Climax mechanics started to sort of uh, destroy that sense I had in the original of this deliberate feel to, to the combat. What I spoke about before as well, which I, what I don't understand is I feel like the higher level uh, things that got smoothed out or etched, uh, or etched out, uh, taken out in uh, Bayonetta 2, the high, higher level uh, stuff, I, ne- I never felt that got into way, uh, in the way of appreciating the first Bayonetta casually. Uh, so that's something I still find quite baffling. But that said, sounding so down on the game, I do feel that it's great that this game was made, that it's there. I am attracted by its vibrancy over the uh, the original, just how vibrant and colorful everything is. And I think it's important that, that it was made. Uh, and it's still one of the better stylish action games you can play. It's just not as great. It doesn't hit the same amount of highs as the, the first game uh, did. And that's unfortunate. And that also... 
I understand that this you can evoke a very strong uh, reaction amongst the scene and uh, high-level players because if you play like uh, Yoshesk on a very high level and you find it rewarding in a sense, when that last bit of reward isn't there, I mean, there are so many games already that cater to the casual crowd, and but there is very little out there uh, that caters to players yeah, of a higher level when it comes to single-player adventures. And in, the, in that sense, I do understand also the, the strong reaction this, this might evoke in, uh, in high-level players. And uh, yeah, it's, it's great that it's there. I hope, uh, uh, contrary to what we've said about the two games forming a sort of a, a cycle, uh, I do hope that a third Bayonetta comes out, or maybe indeed a Bayonetta 2 DX, and that we, uh, mm. we can recapture some of that old magic of the first Bayonetta. Now, let us conclude with the uh, conflicted, maybe, opinions of Yoshesk. Let's hear it. <laughs> well, conflicted. Look, Bayonetta no. 2 is an excellent game, if you judge it mm. on its own merit. It's Bayonetta 1 taken and polished to a really super high sheen. It's beautiful and it plays like a dream. That being said, I obviously have my misgivings about it. Um, I'm obviously aware that my opinion is also very niche. Take anything I say about Bayonetta with a massive grain of salt because I'm obviously super salty about this game. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, I have a massive bias towards Bayonetta 1. But that being said, I can also recognize that it's great that Bayonetta 2 exists. It, you know, it brought more fans to the series. Bayonetta is in Smash. Bayonetta has a massive fan base now as opposed to before. Mm. I can't begrudge Bayonetta 2 existing because it has made the entire fandom so much better. I do hope for something like a Bayonetta 2 DX where they maybe fix things or, you know, maybe a Bayonetta 3, which tries to combine Bayonetta 1 and Bayonetta 2 bits and just stick them together and make it look beautiful because that's what ultimately what I would love to have is a Bayonetta 3 or something Mm. that would take the mechanical depth of Bayonetta 1 with the flamboyancy and the super high polish finish of Bayonetta 2 plus all the improvements Mm. that it did on Bayonetta 1 and stick them together to have the the most perfect Bayonetta package that ever existed. (laughs) That sounds amazing. Bayonetta Ultimax. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good game, but not a good Bayonetta game. A nice pithy soundbite. Okay, well, thank you so much. Uh, It remains for me, Leon, to thank Leah, Mikhail and Yoshesk. Uh, Yoshesk, if people want to see how to actually play, well, maybe more so the original then, but uh, but any any kind of Bayonetta action, uh, where should they go to find you on the internet? I do have a Twitter account, just Yoshesk. Also, my YouTube account is Yoshesk SA, I believe. If you're looking just to get good at Bayonetta, you can look at my videos, which are under Bayonetta Explained. If you're looking for in-depth information about the lore and anything about behind Bayonetta 1 and Bayonetta 2, actually, you can look at my channel. Again, thank you so much for joining us and lending your expertise. Uh, if we ever do any more coverage on Go Back to the Original, uh, hopefully you'll, you'll join us again. Yeah, and thank you to all of our correspondents as well and uh, all of our listeners. That's you guys. And remember, if you've enjoyed this and our other podcasts, please do consider heading to our Patreon patreon.com slash cane rinse donate that minimum of a dollar a month uh, a few people have asked me recently why we only do a dollar a month uh, we don't you can do more you just have to edit the amount it, I don't I don't know the exact uh, key presses or mouse clicks you have to do to do it but you, you're definitely not limited to a dollar a month you can donate $50 a month you can donate 50 uh, no one's no one's quite that generous at the moment but we've got some incredibly <laughs> generous people who are donating way more than the minimum that is just the minimum so um, yes whatever you like please folks it's incredibly gratefully received uh, next time in issue 291 we celebrate the Mexican Day of the Dead with Tim Schafer and LucasArts Grim Fandango <laughs> 